Welcome into this edition of SEC Football and Beyond. Neil McCready, Chris Landry here with you on this Friday morning. Hope you uh, have all have a great weekend. Hope you're having a great week as we get closer and closer to the start of SEC football. One week from tomorrow morning, it gets started in Oxford and Auburn and then five other SEC games uh, over the course of the day. Uh, everybody, everybody jumping in the pool uh, next Saturday. So, We'll be talking a lot uh, of SEC football today and then even more next week. And then after that, I think, is where, frankly, Chris's expertise will kick in and he will become, not that he's not now, but he will become the absolute star of the show because he's going to be able to look at the film and tell you why something happened, how it can be corrected, if it can be corrected, where the talent gaps are and those kind of things. So we'll be able to really start breaking down some football games. We just need the football games to get played. And they're on the way. Chris, how are you? Neil, I'm doing well. It's uh, you know, it's interesting. We've absorbed, I've absorbed now a full week of football NFL, and you know, we've had a week and uh, you know, and a not a week and a half, but a week and kind of a small week of college football. Obviously, some great news since we spoke last. I think it's, I think, I think everyone would agree it's great news that the Big Ten is now going to play, and and the SEC is a week away, and we've got the Big Ten. Um, you know, uh, a month away, but knowing that we're going to have those games and it's an ironic, the PAC 12s looking into how they can play the mountain West is saying they'd like to do it. And the Mac said, well, you know what? That whole spring thing's not going to work. I mean, seems like we discussed that two, three weeks ago, but I think everybody's figuring out, you know what? Maybe we can play. Maybe we can get this done. So I'm excited because it's football. We can have that discussion about this team doesn't deserve it. They're only going to play eight games or nine games or this or that. It's football. Let's, you know, I, let's rejoice, at least for me, that we're going to have more football. More football good, Neil. Yes, that is, that is, <laughs> that is the equation. Right, let me ask you this. As a, as a coach, this is not a, not, not a COVID question. This is a football question because, I'm, I'm as we've talked about, I'm kind of done. From a football standpoint, Today is September the 18th. It's weather's getting cooler. All of those things. If you're in a Big Ten school, you're one of the, you're a coach, you're a coaching staff. I saw Kirk Ferentz talk about this some yesterday. How difficult is it to get your team uh, ready to go again? You know, because you, you, you shut it down. How hard is it to turn it back on, get your team ready in a in a way that, you know. You've never done before getting a team ready to play on October the twenty fourth, I believe, is is when the Big Ten is targeting a start date. That is right, October the twenty fourth. How, how how difficult of a task is that? It's a huge challenge because even though some are practicing, it's been more spring like practices. Um, Wisconsin had to shut it down for a couple of weeks due to some positive tests. You don't know where that's going around uh, and and how that could be affected. As campuses are in full swing, do you bring more potential for guys getting in? So, so as we discussed, I, you know, before is practice is such a critical part in the development. And now that we are a month away, getting ready for a season, it is not ideal. It's not the way you want to do it. The SEC has had more opportunity and longer time to prepare for September 26. In the Big Ten, while it, uh, mentally and emotionally, we're hoping to play the players, the coaches. The reality is they've not been able to, you know, you don't, without the benefit of knowing that you're going to play on October 24th, you can't prepare as if you're going to play on October 24th or November 10th. You're thinking and hoping now that you know, at least you got the plan. But to answer your question, it's going to be complex, very difficult. I think talent's going to win out in most cases. Where you know, I don't think it's going to affect Ohio State losing a game, but you know, it might have an effect on how it looks and how they play. Um, no, I think it's going to have a big effect. The other thing that, to me, as I look at the policies for them coming back in the Big Ten, Neil, man, if there are positive, it is going to be. We're, we're going to be very fortunate if everybody can get through eight games without games being canceled, that may be the case everywhere, 
but man, this is going to be difficult. We're going to have to set a lot of players down <clears throat> with contact tracing. I think it's, I think it's going to be quite the challenge. I think we're just starting this. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a prediction that by the time we get to October the 24th, a lot of those restrictions are going to have been lifted. Well, I would hope so. I mean, I would hope that they're because I think it's going to be difficult to maintain that. And, you know, if you know, you, you, you wonder sometimes we've talked about how it's political. You wonder if they all right, we let them go back. But here's the policy. And then and, and if it if it violates one of those many policies, well, you see, we did and we couldn't get it going. You wonder if they're going to take that approach or if they do what I hope you're suggesting in that, you know what, let's get through this season because there are some people, let's not fool ourselves, some people in the ivory towers in the Big Ten country, the states there that don't want this to be successful because if it's successful, they can't say, I told you so. They can't say we were the smartest people all along. We, we did, you know, so don't, don't think that some of that's not out there, but I hope you're right because it's going to be very difficult to get through a season for those Big Ten teams. Just because we're starting doesn't mean we're finishing. Yeah, so let me ask you this, because I know you have contacts all over the place. The the Pac-12 now talking about maybe October 31st. Uh, the the Mac the Mac has money problems. Pete Thamel, right. Pete Thamel with Yahoo has a, uh, has a really strong uh, story out today. And, and the, the tweet is, the Pac-12 has conflict over a start date. The MAC has money problems. The Mountain West doesn't have daily rapid testing. And then he goes into a look at potential roadblocks, I mean, potential reversals and roadblocks that could change things for those leagues. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, give away sourcing or whatever, but I know you talk to people in different parts of the country. What is your thought on, on the Pac-12? There is a ton of pressure out there that's being ramped up daily uh, to play. Frankly, the governor of California, Newsom, made some ridiculous comments that ended up kind of helping college football with their their opportunity to get back. Uh, some of those programs really want to play. Some of those programs are saying, hey, if, if we don't play, we can't function financially. If we don't get this television money, we can't do it. Meanwhile, you look at the Mac, Chris, and and those those schools are reliant on the buy games. When I say buy, I mean B-U-Y, not B-Y-E, buy games. They are reliant on going to Ohio State or Michigan State or whatever and getting beat 49 to 27 and uh, getting $1.4 million for the trip. That, that's what fuels their budget. They're desperate. I don't know that they can afford to play. And then, and then you have the Mountain West, which is, I think, sort of in the middle there going, hey, we we got to figure this out. I can't believe we're, we are where we are. The non-revenue conferences are in a quandary in that the cost of testing is so great that it's hard for them to the money, the revenue that they make in normal times with a full gate where you might bring 18 to 24 to maybe 30,000 fans at a Mac game. That's big. 30,000. That doesn't. And you don't bring large TV revenue. You're correct. They're, the revenue games pay a lot of that. And so what they've got to decide is what is more economically feasible to take the money that we're going to make from playing to offset the cost of testing. Now, where I'm a little bit fuzzy on is, and I'm not uneducated on is the cost of testing. Cause I only know what people tell me on these tests that were, you know, that, that I, you know, how much can you get, how quickly, how, what the cost is, how often do you need to, t I mean, all those things dictate how, what the costs are. I mean, NFL are spending money through the nose. Why are they doing it? Well, they can test every day. They have these Fitbit looking watches. I like to call them that contact tracing. There is a fan in Kansas city that caught it and they traced everybody that was in the section and everybody that came in contact with them. I mean, how advanced is that? That just kind of blows my mind. Well, you can't do that in the Mac. You can't. So what can you do in the Mac? Now I will say this and my thoughts and talking to a couple of folks is you guys see, what are they doing in the Sunbelt? What are they doing? And I mean, the Sunbelt conference, what are they doing in conference USA? And I know AAC's 
a little bit more money and a little bit, but but look at what this I mean because that's that's apples to apples you know so figure out how they're testing how often how they're making it work and see if you can make that work because that's the key the Mountain West is kind of in the same situation but you're dealing a little bit with some of the states that they're in you've got to deal with certain local issues and local meaning not just the state but the counties and whatnot I, I thought it was interesting what the governor of California said, because it basically threw it back on, hey, you guys want to play football in the Pac-12? No one's been stopping you. And and it's kind of made, and it's just so transparent because 90 minutes after the Big Ten stopped their season, the Pac-12 did, and now the Pac-12 is saying, yeah, we're going to look at it because they realized they got nothing. You know, if the Big Ten said, hey, we're going to do this, No, let's start in November and we'll play a Rose Bowl in February or just uh, March type thing. Well, the Pac-12, sure, that's good. We can do, they can't do that now. They got nothing. Well, they're going to play a conference schedule. I mean, of course, they're going to play in the fall, like I said all along, or they're not going to play. So they're scrambling. And here's the thing about the Pac-12. They don't make the revenue they make better revenue than Group of Five, of course. They don't make the revenue that the other Power Five leagues do. And they have more sports on campus in the Pac-12. They're like, instead of 20 to 22 to 25, they've got 35 sports. They got water polo. and I mean, they got stuff that don't have in the South and other places. So they're supporting they got more expenses, they got more mouths to feed, and they've got less income coming in. So making sure that they get that revenue as much as possible, they'd like to do it. Now, you know, all the talk is about, well, we were just more cautious. And no, you were just dealing with this. And now the same medical information and the testing and everything that you're going to do now, Big Ten and Pac-12, you could have done two months ago. But now because... A, I think, and I did a one of my podcasts yesterday, Neil. I went into the Big Ten and the behind-the-scenes story there, the the ugly story behind it. That yeah, of course they were embarrassed because other conferences are playing. It made them look bad. But the big thing, the big thing that got the Big Ten off the pot and eventually the Pac-12 is the lawsuits or the threat of lawsuits on the Big Ten when they're let's see the bylaws. Did you have? Did you take uh, meetings in that, uh, you know, uh, in, in all those things? Now, Big Ten lawyers said, look, now, if if it goes to discovery and there's a lawsuit, they're not worried about maybe losing the lawsuit as much as what's going to be uncovered into the discovery. You know that, right? You know, the whole, you know, Houston, uh, you know, you freeze that they discover what you find out. You don't want that brings a problem. So you can thank Thomas Mars. You can thank Nebraska. You can thank the folks that said, we're going to sue this and, and all right. All right. Look, well, this is what we'll do. And that's, I think while we haven't had that threat of a lawsuit in the PAC 12, I think we're going to see them do everything they can to play. Uh, they're behind the eight ball. Can they get enough games in? Yada, yada, yada. Don't know. But I think that they're going to try to do it. And I think everybody now is going to try to do it because they see the path. And while the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 has kind of led the way, now the Big 10 is kind of leading the way for, hey, we can come back and do this. And this is our plan. And, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, people find religion when they do something really bad or they really need it. You know what I mean? So now it's like, yeah, we we found all this. We got all this good. We found more medical information that helps to make it safer. No, that stuff was out there. It was there a while. You just chose to find it now because it kind of fits your needs. It's what's happening is what happened in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. when, when people start filing FOIAs, and they say, hey, I want to see all the correspondence. I want to see everything behind the decisions that you made to shut down restaurants, to close bars, whatnot. Those bar owners are starting to fight back. It's going to happen all over the country. And you're right. Listen, I mean, the Hugh Freeze thing. <laughs> Hugh Freeze. You're right in the middle of all that, buddy. 
Hugh Freeze lost his Preach. job because people FOIAed phone records. That's right. Hugh they Fre don't find out the skeletons in the closet. Yeah, and, and and they didn't they they didn't find necessarily what they were looking for in the phone records. They found something else, and it got him. And these listen, these politicians that that are behind this, these university administrators that were behind this, they're human beings too. They have stuff going on in their lives. You can bet on it. Not all of them, but some of them. And some of these people are saying, I, hey, listen, oh, this isn't a fight. I want to fight. This did not go. We'll get off this topic because there's some SEC things I want to get to. But let's be clear. People say, well, what, what, whether it was about politics or not, I don't know. But there's absolutely no doubt, Chris, that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 thought and believed that everyone else would go with them on this decision and that there would kind of just be a national week of mourning, if you will, and then everyone would sort of move on and everyone would have to recover in the same way. That is what they believed. I don't know whether it was because they thought it was just going to be too difficult, whether they were scared of liability, uh, whether it was politics, whether it was some combination thereof, which is probably the answer. But they thought that everyone would go with them. And when they didn't, they started to look foolish. And it's not that the SEC can play that makes the Big Ten and the Pac-12 look silly. It's that Arkansas State, mm -hmm. and Arkansas, and Louisiana Tech, and Louisiana Monroe, and Louisiana Lafayette, and uh, U USF, and UCF. Those, those are the programs. Those are the programs that people in those Big Ten communities look at the people that made these decisions and said, now, hey, wait a minute. If, I get how Alabama can play. But how the hell can Arkansas State play and we can't? Mm -hmm. It's a fair question. And coaches will sit there and administrators, athletic administrators will say, you know what? This certainly puts a shines the light on how important football is on our campus or how not important. And you can debate whether football is too important, athletics are too important. You, you can have that discussion. That is a fair one to have. But the reality is when you're a football coach and you're trying to sell your program and your league, I'm going to tell you what, the Sun Belt has made some inroads. You know, the MAC is – it makes you look a little weak, and it makes you weak in sense of – your focus on football or your ability to find answers to get things done. Now, some people may say, oh, those folks down south, they're Neanderthals and they don't care about people and health and all that. That's what that things you tell, the lies you tell yourself to make yourself feel better. The reality is they have said in those conferences that are playing, we're going to be safe. We're going to do things to make it work because it's important enough to figure it out. If it's important enough, you'll figure out a way. If it's not important enough to you, you're not. And to this point, these other conferences that didn't play have been saying it without saying it, saying it by their actions, that it's not important enough to go through it. Now they're realizing, you know what? This is going to have a deleterious effect on our ability to recruit and market our programs relative to the others. No doubt about it. All right, we're going to switch to some SEC topics here in a second and then uh, maybe preview some of the games that are on the slate this weekend. It's not the it's not the most attractive slate of games in the history of college football, but that's okay. We're, we're, we're getting there. Uh, this podcast is sponsored in part by Jupiter Security Systems. They're based in Madison, Mississippi, and Jupiter Security Systems provide your business with a help desk, allowing you to get software at a much cheaper price than you would uh, by paying directly to Microsoft or the different cybersecurity services. Jupiter Security Services offers businesses the full Microsoft 365 suite, email, spam protection, and they monitor workstations and servers. They don't see your data, by the way, but they do know if malicious applications get installed on your computer and they can let you know before it's too late. Jupiter can set up remote monitoring on a computer regardless of the location, so don't spend money on getting your employees new laptops to work remotely. Let Jupiter monitor their home computers and protect their data and yours wherever you choose to work. 
Jupiter Security Systems offers cybersecurity and monitoring. It's ADT for your computer systems and data, and it's very affordable with a flat price, no hidden add-ons. For more information, call Eric at 601-519-3583 or email info, that's I-N-F-O, at jupitersecurity.net. You can also check them out on the web at jupitersecurity.net. All right, so South Carolina names a quarterback, and I don't think it's who we all thought it was going to be. Uh, the Gamecocks open a week from tomorrow. They play uh, against Tennessee. And on Thursday night, Will Muschamp, Mike Bobo, and the gang uh, went with the grad transfer from uh, from Colorado as their as their quarterback. They're going to start. Uh, they're going to start Hill. Or how surprised were you? Well. I had gotten – we've talked about it on the website. It was. It, it kind of was leaning this way because of Mike Bobo's connection. He knows this guy, obviously, from Colorado State. He's a big kid. He's had some injury issues. He started at Colorado State, and I think he's just more familiar with it. So my, my concern is, is the old, okay, he understands it. He can make better decisions. What does that mean for Ryan Holinsky? Is he not progressing? Is this kid really, really good, or is just that Ryan – making more mistakes. I think that's going to be a big part of what they're able to do with this offense this year. I know that that's been the biggest problem. We've talked about South Carolina in the preview that Will is in consistency, instability on his staff, and particularly offensively. Got to be able to run the football better. They've got to be able to do that. But the quarterback play is so important, and I'm very curious to see how this plays out um, with Colin Hill, and we'll see if it's the right choice. But it, it, certainly in terms of from what they tell me, he was the better one in terms of understanding where to go with the football and having a better understanding of the scheme. And again, that sometimes is uh, the right way to go and not being in there every day in the meetings. It's hard to say. We'll see. Colin Hill has had three ACL tears. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going in, if you're Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp, you know, going in that there's an injury risk there. If you've had three, you can have a fourth. Uh, you, you mentioned Holinsky started 11 games last year, completed 58.1% of his passes, mm -hmm. you know, had a, had an okay season, had some bright moments, had some bad moments. You obviously have to keep him engaged. You have to keep, oh, no doubt. you have to keep him mentally ready because you, you have a quarterback who has an injury history. How difficult is that as a coach? To demote a guy, a young guy that I'm sure went into this offseason thinking he was going to be the guy, now he's not. How do you keep him sort of engaged and motivated? Well, Neil, that's your job as a coach. And and look, I, I think this. I think, you know, Ryan was, I think, per, the perceived starter. But, you know, I do believe there is something to you got to earn it and you got to constantly earn your position. I think there's some guys who clearly earned it and – Certainly, you see it a lot at the pro level and what you pay them and all that. But the college level, uh, we see guys who've earned it, but you you can be beaten out by somebody that does a better job. So I think the answer to that question is, how did they come to this decision? Again, is it that Colin Hill was so good and he was just so sharp and he was so advanced that that's the direction they went, or he was just better than Ryan who maybe has regressed or, you know, I don't know what that situation truly is. And we're going to find out eventually because we're going to see him. We're going to see him both on the field this year at some point. You, you know, I, I think what you can do and, and sometimes Neil, depending on the player, it is the easiest thing to get a guy engaged when they quote unquote lose their job or they get beaten out. Um, you know, did they do everything and do you feel like, did they do everything they were supposed to do? And is, does he feel unappreciated with, and that's usually when guys maybe, or they didn't get a chance. That's when they leave. But you know, here's the thing. If, if a guy outworks you, a guy performs better in practice, which Clary Colin Hill did, then that ought to motivate Ryan Helensky to do a better job and to get better so that he can – because, you know, the way I would tell him is you're one play from in the starting quarterback. All this means, all the past few weeks means Colin's done a better job. And let me tell you why he's done a better job. This always did it and always we cut guys when we 
talk to guys. Let me tell you why this guy is playing ahead of you. Because you need to know that. Because this is what you need to do to get better. It might be this guy is more gifted than you are. Okay, you got to work harder because you don't have as much natural ability. So he has better feet. You have a chance to be stronger, whatever the case may be. Or you've got as much ability. This guy, you see it in his technique and in his assignment that he puts in that extra time. Look, how much time are you doing everything you can? Because you want me to tell you how many hours you've spent looking at film this week versus Joe? Or, you know, whatever. Those are the things. This is what I need you to do, Mr. Backup. This is why you're number two and what you can do to be number one. And if you do that and you communicate that, that's what you do as a coach. It's it's the same thing you do with a student in class, wouldn't you? Why did you make a C? Well, this is what you need to do. How much did you study? How are you studying? What, what are you? Tell me your methods. Coach, I've been looking at a lot of film. We need to get together again. How are you looking at it? Looking at the, you know, those are the things that you need to do. And that's what separates guys. Tennessee got great news. Uh, Former Georgia offensive lineman Cade Mays cleared by the NCAA. He's almost assuredly now jumping into the Vols starting lineup. Tell me what you, what you know about Mays, how you think he helps Tennessee as they get ready for South Carolina in eight days. It's a real strength of their team. I think this Tennessee offensive line has a chance to be really good. Um, I never quite understand the NCAA rulings, why some of it. And again, you when you don't have all the details, it's tough, but why it took so long. But I'm glad for the young man that he's eligible, can play. Uh, my understanding is um, he can be, you know, ready uh, against the aforementioned South Carolina Gamecocks on September 26th, a week uh, from tomorrow. So our week from Saturday as we're taping this, we're doing this show live on Friday, uh, a week from uh, tomorrow. Uh, I expect him to line up. Really talented guy. He's got nice feet. Can really drive his feet on contact as a run blocker. Um, he's got little work to do as a pass protector, but you know he's got some ability to slide. Uh, short set's pretty good. Deep set needs some work, but talented guy. He's got a lot of potential on the next level and has potential to be an all-conference offensive lineman and a very obviously a, a conference with a lot of good offensive linemen. You know, it's it's amazing to watch the NCAA drag feet. There's no reason that I know of, and I've asked some people about Cade Mays, there's no reason that I know of that the NCAA waited until this late in the process to make to give an answer. I know there was some infighting inside the league. There are some people in the league powerful people in the league who don't like the idea of intra-conference transfers. They're afraid that it will lead to intra-conference recruiting. Uh, They are afraid that it will lead to when and if the one-time no-penalty transfer kicks in, that the path to just basic one-year free agency will, will kick in throughout the league. And those are all pretty valid points. But at the end of the day, the NCAA, I think, could have made this decision months ago. They knew they they knew his situation. You either approve it or you don't. You can't can't be intimidated by some heavy hitters inside of a conference, big name coaches who are having athletic directors do the speaking for them. For example, Ole Miss is waiting on Otis Reese right now, the the defensive back transferred from Georgia. Lane Kiffin has said on a couple of occasions, that he might be their best player on defense. And Otis Reese, as of this moment, to my knowledge, I might be off on something, but eight days eight days and about an hour and a half from this moment before Ole Miss is supposed to kick off its season against Florida, they don't have an answer. He doesn't have an answer. That's I think that's profoundly Forget the schools and the coaches. The co- like you said, the coaches are paid to make these decisions. The coaches are paid to accommodate these decisions, to prepare for these decisions. I'm sure that DJ Durkin has a plan for the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. I'm sure he has a plan for if Reese is available, and I'm sure he has a plan for if Reese is not available. That's his job. It's profoundly unfair to the kid 
to make him go day after day after day. If you're not eligible, tell the kid, hey, you're not going to be eligible. You're not going to play, and here's why. But waiting until eight days before or, or worse is a terrible look on the NCAA's part. They've had this information for months, Chris, months. Yeah, no, I the, the the only thing that would to me make it delayed is if you don't have the information. If you need to get more information, you need to, you know, um make a prudent decision, but you know, I do think that you need to have a deadline. I mean, a self-imposed deadline if you're the NCAA to to expedite. You you should get a fair and expedited ruling and you know, I know there's limitation to some degree with subpoena power in some situations, but on on this, you got you've got to make it quicker um, and it'd be a little bit more transparent because I, that's why I think there's just a so many hard feelings about the NCAA and where you never know how you know rhyme or reason. You can't look at a pattern and say, well, you know, they've done ABC with this, so it's going to be XYZ. It may be like, wow, that's completely opposite of what they've been doing. Yeah, I just – in these deals where a, a kid's been on a campus like Mays had for a long time, Reese has for a long time, I, I just think you have to give answers. Even if the answer is not what everybody wants, you have to give an answer. It's letting it hang like that is – is uh, I, I just think it's profoundly unfair to the kids. So um, – all right, let me ask you this a quick NFL question before we get to some of the college games. What did you think of not necessarily the game, Cleveland and Cincinnati last night, but the quarterback matchup, Baker Mayfield and uh, Joey Burrow? If if they can play like that on a consistent basis, that might become a fun rivalry over the course. Yeah, yeah there's no question. Um, you could tell, A, with the performance last week by Cleveland, how poorly they played and Baker in the offense and they're dominated by the Ravens, that – this was a big game for them, particularly for Baker Mayfield at home. Uh, if you let a rookie outplay you, it really, really looks bad. I thought Baker was outstanding. I thought the run game, I thought Nick Chubb was just continues to be just outstanding. And I, I do agree that, that Chubb and Kareem Hunt are the best one-two combination running backs in the league. And so – Browns look really good. Consistency. Baker did a good job. Um, you see the ability in the intangibles of Joe Burrow, but he is a young guy. Holds the ball a little too long. Some of the some of the pressures fooled him a little bit. Um, had a little bit of a stretch of some throws that were rushed and were a little bit off target. But he can put good plays and bad plays behind him and make good decisions. I have no worries about Joe Burrow, and here's why. The physical skills are there. The intangibles are off the charts good. This kid is a gym rat. What he doesn't know, he will learn. He is advanced already. I mean, he's actually doing things not from a result standpoint. As always say, it's the process. It's from the read progression standpoint, you're seeing things that, well, this kid's starting to get it not doing it consistently enough, holding the ball too long, took took a couple of sacks that were on him and not the offensive line, yet the offensive line had some issues too. Those are all things he'll grow and um, got a couple of young receivers that have come along with him that you're going to make some plays for him. And look, they were right in it for a while. In the end, um, you know, again, we're not talking about the teams, but but Cleveland was able to win that with their offense and the running game. But uh, but I think Joe Burrow is going to be fine. I don't know how many games they're going to win this year, but Cincinnati um, has found their quarterback. It's they they had, you know, and they have had a long stretch. You know, Carson Palmer had success. Um, they have a lot of missteps there. You know, <laughs> along the way. It's like Kitty Anderson and then Carson Palmer. I mean, it, it's. I mean, you know, the 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 one that was the you know, I don't know how many people will remember this, but the guy that was so great, and they even mentioned it last night, is Greg Cook, out of the University of Cincinnati in 1969. People, he leads my list of the best player that never was to be. Greg Cook, for folks that don't know, played at the University of Cincinnati was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals and Paul Brown. And the 
offensive coordinator and quarterback coach of the Browns was a guy named Bill Walsh. Greg Cook was a rookie of the year and made the shortlist of MVP of the league, tore his rotator cuff in the days before they went in and, and really knew how to determine it. He played an entire year with a torn rotator cuff and was MVP. And but because he played with it, he shredded his shoulder and he it was done. He was to this day, Bill Walsh said the best quarterback he's ever seen. And yet he has no career to it because the unfortunate injury and the unknown of going in there, doing a scope, couldn't do all that back then. But them, you're right, it Kenny Anderson, Boomer, Boomer was good. But man, they've had a lot of, you know, Klingler didn't work out and um um, you know, yeah, Achilles, um, Achilles Smith didn't work out. Carson Palmer did, but I, I think they've got their quarterback now. All right. We, we've mentioned several times the SEC is a week away. They're all going into this final weekend of no games before the games begin. If you're a coach on coaching staff, what are you, what are you trying to get done with these, these, I know basically everyone's going to have one almost like a run through game on Saturday, hey, we're going to put on the uniform and we're going to go through the dress rehearsal and we're going to do all of that stuff. From a from a coaching standpoint, what are you trying to get done in one of those days? Well, um, w- what you try to do is get some, particularly with the guys, maybe new coaches, different position where the coaches are in the booth or whatever. If you're making any of those adjustments, those things really help you by going through that. Any young players that maybe it's the first game, certain things, it kind of helps take the jitters out because, hey, I just did it last week. Even though it wasn't for real, it, it, it kind of was. It's the same thing. So it helps there. What you try to do through you know, this, this past week and into this weekend to gradually work on things that are going to be pursuant to your opponent this week without introducing the game plan. One of the things that people think that, oh, man, you got two weeks to play to prepare. They're going to put in the game plan on, on Tuesday of the week before. Doesn't work that way. You do that, then everything gets stale. Up. But what you do is you introduce things and you work on things that are, again, are going to be necessities for when you introduce that game plan. So what you try to do through this weekend is to make everything cleared up and prepared so that this week is a true game week. So it is going to be install of the game plans, the meeting of the typical game week, all of that is put into place and you're going to have the, the general installs. You, I, I'm talking with coaches and doing some stuff. I always say, you know, you better be prepared. We always talk about players, but better be prepared as a coaching staff. You better have a backup plan. You have a better have a backup play caller. You have a, a backup signal caller. You have a backup guy that's, you know, whatever, because you don't know how this is going to play out. But this to me for SEC, it, it's, it's a return to normalcy, a normal game plan with the under in, in hope that you're going into the, you know, the testing and everything that everything is fine, that you can have your full complement of players to practice. And, uh, that's, that's what, um, that's what this week is all about. And as I said earlier, they've had more time to kind of get prepared for a season. Now they can go into a full game mode as opposed to, like I said, with the big 10 or maybe the PAC 12 is going to have to do, that's going to be at lightning speed. So there's, there's every bit the opportunity for the SEC to be a little bit crisper in their week one than maybe others. We'll see if that plays out, though. Yeah, the only, and the only team that I've heard that has major COVID-related issues going into week one right now is Missouri. Yeah. I, I, I think Florida has a few. Missouri has, I think they announced, what, 12 guys are out. Not Correct. COVID, but, but because of the direct contact and, and that kind of thing. So. As if Elijah Drinkwitz's first game at, at Missouri wasn't going to be hard enough facing yeah. Alabama. He, he's got he's got to face Alabama with you know a, a significant portion of his roster out. All right, let's let's have a little fun here. Let's rate in order okay. which you think are the most intriguing games next week. We'll, we'll break them all down for you, folks. But let's just kind of go into obviously Alabama's. Missouri, Arkansas, Georgia. I would throw those as other than if you're a fan of those teams, intriguing games, eh, not so much. 
Auburn, Kentucky, I will submit as a candidate. Florida, Ole Miss, I know you're very interested in that, you know, Ole Miss. Um, LSU, Mississippi State. Uh, South Carolina, Tennessee. NM Vanderbilt. Um, what would you say? I would say maybe most intriguing to me, Tennessee, South Carolina. Um Kentucky, Kentucky Auburn. Yeah, Kentucky Auburn is really interesting to me, and Tennessee South Carolina is is really intriguing as well. Uh, I'm interested to see LSU Mississippi State. I'm mm-hmm. interested to see what LSU looks like after all that they lost off of that roster. Uh, the coaching staff is completely different now. It's I'm interested to see the newness there, and then who's not interested to see what Mike Leach has been able to get done completely changing culture and offense and all of the things that, that come with Mike Leach, how far along are they in that process? That's interesting to me. Uh, so that game, even though I don't think the game itself is going to be super competitive, the optics of that game, if you will, the storylines are absolutely intriguing. Um, Florida Ole Miss is, is an intriguing game for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think Florida could, is potentially – a legitimate national contender. So I'm curious to see if they look like one. And then with Ole Miss, it's the same thing. It's They made a change. I mean, this is not anything against Matt Luke, but the last three years here were kind of boring. With Lane Kiffin, I don't know if it's going to work or not. It's not going to be boring. But I don't think it's going to be boring. And so uh, that, that's going to be interesting to see what, wow. he's, what he's able to do uh, with Matt Corral how he uses John Rice Plumley, if he uses John Rice Plumley, sort of how, how they look from a from a on-field product. I, I think everyone knows Florida has a distinct talent advantage in that game, but I am curious to see what Ole Miss looks like under Lane Kiffin to get an idea of, of what that direction is. Um, the other games that you mentioned, Alabama-Missouri doesn't do a lot for me. I, I think we all expect a, a blowout for Alabama. Georgia is at Arkansas. I am interested to see Georgia's quarterback situation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested to see what Felipe Franks looks like at quarterback for Arkansas. Uh, Sam Pittman has the work cut in front of him. As, as a, he has a, a mountain to climb. There's no question about that. I, I do think Sam Pittman's a good fit there from a cultural standpoint. He he is good with people uh, at, a, at a school that um, is pretty big on access. The, the media get a lot of access there. Um, the, the the people there want the coach to sort of be part of the state, and I think Pittman's that guy. But he's, you know, Arkansas has done it again. They went from Bielema and that hard-nosed kind of attack to Chad Morris with we're going to throw the thing all over the place, basketball on grass, to Sam Pittman, who's an offensive line coach, who, you know, I think is going to try to meet in the middle a little bit, but I'm curious to see if they have enough personnel to do that. I, I, they do have some weapons uh, at different spots on, in offense. Their offensive line's young, but the word out of Fayetteville's pretty positive about what they've seen up front, and then defensively, it's a rebuild. Uh, but Barry Odom's a hell of a defensive coach. I know it didn't work necessarily as a head coach at Missouri, but Barry Odom is one hell of a defensive co- coordinator, and I anticipate that Arkansas is going to be better. Does that mean they win the game? They haven't won an SEC game since October of 2017 at Ole Miss. So, yeah. you know, can they win an SEC game? I don't know. But I do think Arkansas is going to be better. I've I've had to tell some people when they're like, oh, you know, they'll, they'll talk about wins and losses in this state. And both Ole Miss fans and Mississippi State fans, when Arkansas comes up, they go, W. And I'm like, hey, hold up. I mean, I think you're right. But Arkansas looks at those games and says, maybe. Yeah, they they look at it and they think that's a winnable game for them too. You know, and so so, that, 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 so to answer your question, there's actually a, a lot in week one that's pretty damned intriguing. Yeah, it will be. You know, Arkansas is um, it, it's an intriguing program, and studying it historically, you know, the old guard will remember some of the great Southwest Conference days and Coach Brawls and the fact that they played at a championship level and then, you know, obviously made the move to the SEC way back in 92-ish, early 90s, um, where, you know, they've had some success in the league. Um, and there's a belief that 
Arkansas should be a lot better. There is a belief that Tyson Chicken money and Walmart money and Jerry Jones money and that they should be able to do more. Um, I get this a lot, and I, I you know, it's and I'm, I, I appreciate the question, but I, you know, I'm, it, it tells you sometimes how people really don't follow us. Well, Arkansas would be better off in the Big Twelve because they'd be more competitive. You're looking at it strictly from a competitive standpoint. Financially, I mean, the the Big Twelve is the lowest hanging fruit in terms of a conference because they're dictated by Texas. And so Texas decides they want to go to the Pac-12 one day, then the Big 12's done. So, and then the money's not there. Texas makes the money, and we'll see when the long-run network contract runs out with ESPN, how that how that'll play out and what'll happen. But you know, no one is going to lead the SEC unless you know let it kicked out because the money's too great. So, you know, competitively speaking, yeah, I get it. They're not really that good. And people will point to, well, Bob Petrino had them really good. And I do remember as we head into Thanksgiving weekend, gosh, the exact year, it was, you know, the BCS thing had Alabama, LSU and Arkansas, one, two, three. Bob had that team pretty good, ranked pretty high and people kind of long for that. And it's been such a precipitous drop since the infamous motorcycle accident with the leggy volleyball blonde that um, we led to, you know, a a, a period of Arkansas football where like people don't know that they can compete. They can. I I don't know, like we've said before, that until Alabama comes back to the back, Arkansas, uh, LSU's definitely ahead. And, you know, uh, I I would still see Auburn, A&M. I mean, A&M's doing more things a lot better than Arkansas. So Arkansas is down in the, in the, the lower half. But they have the potential. They have the ability. I think they have the spirit to do it. And I do think they have the overall national pedigree to be more competitive. And I do think that while maybe the record may not reflect it, a good Arkansas team could line up and play with a lot of teams around the country and beat them. This is not a good Arkansas team. This is not a team that could do that. This is not a team that can compete against many solid teams in the big 12 or anywhere. So you're right. Sam's got a rebuild. It's got a culture build. It's got to come to recruiting. It's got to come to relevance of Arkansas football in the state, in the region. We've got to create some stability. We've got to, he's going to have to put a good staff together. They're going to have to develop well, and they're going to have to figure out how can they go about getting a program to where they can recruit better. Because Brett Bielema was hired because he could take an arc, uh, a Wisconsin program, and it was a great developmental program. And he came into Arkansas, and he realized not as easy to win in the SEC West as it is in the Big Ten West. So while he did some good things, it did not show consistently in terms of the wins and losses. And as you said, well, we're going to do it differently. We're going to spread it out, and we're going to be the the the, the – program that can't do it, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, but we're going to trick them and, you know, do something else. Well, that didn't work and that didn't last very long and they couldn't compete out of conference. So what does it really take? It's a culture. That's the culture. It's the culture change. You've got to be a better team at the line of scrimmage. You got to have balance on offense. My God, it's been a long time since I can say Arkansas had a really good defense. An awfully long time, Neil. Even Brett, even under Bob, you could get to that defense eventually. Bob had some teams that could score points on you, but you were going to be able to score points on them. I mean, they had LSU kind of, you know, down and in, you know, just they get exposed by more explosive playmakers on the other side. And so they've got to peck away at that and get that back. And that's not going to be an easy fix. I don't know if Sam can do it, but I do think he certainly is somebody that understands the program, appreciates the program, and we'll see. But it, but patience, patience, patience is the key. Yeah, I always sensed that Chad Morris felt like he'd bit off more than he could chew. There, his body language at times was was not what you'd want. I, 
Listen, I, it's it's going to be really hard. Did, did, did not to interrupt you. Did I ever tell you? I tell you the story, and I've, I've I think I've got the text. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a tech guy, but you know, Chad wanted the Ole Miss job. He wanted me to help him get the Ole Miss job. But when we thought it was going to be open, and Matt got it. Okay. He, he wanted me to not not you know I, I know yeah mm-hmm. yeah he sent me he sent me a text saying can you help me and and he wanted to make the move from SMU. But, you know, and, and Arkansas ended up being, you know, good move. Uh, you know, he was looking for that type of job. And I, I mentioned that because you mentioned something. He did look like the job was a little bit big for him. A little, the rebuild, in some ways, I think the Ole Miss job would have been better. But the rebuild part of it is a lot. When there's expectations and there's a rebuild and there's not realistic expectations – Man, it takes a job like that that makes it really difficult. That's why we talked Tuesday about Billy Napier and, you know, better be careful because if you take a Mississippi State job, you take an Ole Miss job, you take an Arkansas job, you take a Missouri job. If they think, the fan base thinks, all right, you're here, and everybody, yeah, what does everybody say? Yeah, we're going to compete for SEC championships. Okay, Coach, yeah, that's great. Put down the pom-poms. The reality is, if the expectations are the expectations are that you should compete and win a title at some of those places, it 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 it, it you'll never satisfy them because even a guy and I would probably say Dan Mullen was the most successful guy at a place that 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 is going to need a lot of help to win a conference title and never did it but I think people respect how good a job he did. The Dan Mullen, Mississippi state thing was really good. I thought until it fell apart, I thought Hugh freeze Ole Miss. That's going to be tough to replicate a guy that loves the program that could be good and maybe get you there. If things fall right, those are tough places. You know, Gary Pinkle did a nice job at Missouri, had some help around him with things falling apart. Those are the things that if you take those jobs, and you think you're going to win a title and compete for a title, and the fan base expects it, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. Yeah, it's it's. You, you mentioned the word culture, and I think if you're talking about Pittman this year, I think it applies at Ole Miss too. It probably applies at Missouri. I'm not sure about Mississippi State. It's a different deal, and I, I just don't know what that's going to look like. But at those three programs, this is a, a season that culture is a big thing. You can, at Arkansas this year, you could go one and nine and look up at the end of the year and go, you know what, we made some strides. Not just it's not just on the field. It's inside the program. It's your ability to communicate with recruits. You win with players. The the one thing I'll say is we kind of do some some a, a trip down memory lane. The knock on freeze that was going to affect him one way or the other. And you're right. He got off to a great start. He had he had things going. Hugh did not have and does not have, in my opinion the network of coaching contacts that I think you need at this level. It's one of the reasons that I think if you're Arkansas, you have to have a degree of, of optimism when Sam Pittman hires Barry Odom. That's a strong move. When he hires Kendall Bryles, that's a strong move. Those are people that could go get coaching jobs at a lot of places. When Hugh lost Wesley McGriff and replaced him with, um, the guy, point proven, he went out and got one of his contacts in Hawaii. Yeah, uh, it it didn't it didn't make a lot of sense when Hugh uh, ran off Dan Werner and replaced him with Phil Longo. It, it was a, a sign. This isn't knocking Longo, but it was a sign that it just doesn't have the connections that you have to have. It's one of the reasons that I think people here are excited it's not just about lane kiffin and lane kiffin's twitter persona lane kiffin went out and got dj durkin um you know he got jeff levy he's got a he's got a really strong staff that he's put together it's the best coaching staff from a pedigree standpoint that i've covered here in 13 years well let me give you a, a secret out there people have always asked me or have asked me now for a few years why has jim harbaugh and I don't think Jim Harbaugh has failed at Michigan. 
but why is Jim Harbaugh not been as successful as everyone thought, including myself? Because hell of a job at Stanford. I mean, guy did a good job in the NFL. The sure. big difference, the big difference, he has not hired well at Michigan, particularly in the offensive side. He's had no stability, and he's not hit. And that's why and, – and Ohio State has better talent, yes, but they've also hired better. And the instability at Michigan, the lack of identity on offense, the lack of the ability to maximize, the lack of continuity, that has hurt them. That's what's kept them from being competitive against Ohio State, where it's, you know, it's Ohio State and Michigan. And we look at that game and we say, man, don't know. This could be close. Nobody's looking at that as even a contest right now. That would be a massive upset if Michigan wins it. That's to your point. I think one of the big things from a head coaching standpoint, is the ability to hire a staff and develop a staff. It is critical. I mean, you think hiring Joe Brady at LSU made a difference? Oops, night and day. I mean, you night know, Steve Benzminger is really good, but without having a, a Joe Brady there, makes a huge difference. You, do you think maybe – Something you think that might have saved less miles and made him, you know, more of a consistent winner. The inability to do that killed him. You know, love, you know, love Cam Cameron, but but wasn't the really good fit. And I mean, it was a perfect fit with less, but you know, it just it wasn't. And you know, I don't want to get into that because the whole less stubbornness killed him. I went round and round with him trying to get him a high Paul Christ and Justin Fuente back in the day as coordinators. And, you know, it's camp and it's you know, all right, you know, and it just led to his overall demise at a place that we know can win. And we've seen it now. Ed's ability to sustain and be more than a one-year wonder is his ability to hire well because you're going to lose him as they did this year and hire just as well. Why is Dabo Sweeney such a really good, he's hired well. Dabo yep. Swinney is not a great X's and O guy. He's a salesman. He's a recruiter. He's hired well. You know what? Didn't have a lot of success early. Got Brent Venables to run that defense. Got the aforementioned Chad Morris and, you know, Jeff Scott and down the line. Got really good coordinators. That's And recruit well, That that's a good combination. So that's, that's no, it's a really good point. That's what, uh, that's, that's why he's had the success he's had. Mm-hmm. Dabo credit. He, he knows who he is. He's, he's very good at marketing. He's very good at PR. He's good at motivation. He's good at those things. And he hires people to coach and lets them coach. It's what it's, and I, I've seen Ed acknowledge this. Uh, I wasn't covering Ole Miss when Ed Orgeron was at Ole Miss. I came here right after he was fired. Uh, Houston Nutt had taken the job. And so I, there were enough people here who were intimately aware of what had happened. And Ed was terrible. At delegating, mm-hmm. he, he couldn't. He couldn't take himself out of it. If anything, he worked too hard. He worked too much. That was what you heard. Couldn't. Couldn't back off. Look at what they did at LSU last season. It was remarkable. He he put the right people in place, and then he did what he's good at, which is motivating and coaching, and uh, you know, kind of being the 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 voice of a program, the face of a program but behind the scenes. He let people go and. I mean, you, you saw the results. They speak for themselves. That's, that's there's different jobs are different ways and different. You you talk about the word fit. Fit is 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 vitally important. I mean, Ed Orgeron, for example, the fit at LSU that that he's attained. He you know he could have taken. There's some other places where he may could have gone. I don't know that the fit would have worked, but he was able no, to he no. was able to go a place that had the resources to hire the kind of people that he hired, and. Um, and then he let him go. We let him let it work. And the other thing was, you know, he now he stood up at that podium when he first got the job on a full time basis and said, "Here's what we're going to do, and it's not going to take very long." And he did it. Uh, I, I think sometimes coaches don't say enough. Of I've been impressed with Kiffin here, for example, saying it when people try to, "Hey, are you are you going to beat Saban?" He's like, "Hey, we're not ready to talk about that." That, that that's. We're not there yet. There's a long way to go. And that's talking to fans. That's telling fans, hey, look, we're going to try to get there, but it's not happening tomorrow. And sometimes I, I think coaches make that mistake. They they get up there and they they do the pom-pom thing from day one and the expectations get high and then no one's ready to put the work in. 
as, as we wrap up, I mean, that's, that was my point about Arkansas. Absolutely. It's not, I'm not saying Sam Pittman's the answer. I do think he's a better fit. And if he ends up being a bridge to the next guy, that would make some sense. But it's roll up your sleeves, all the cliches. It's time to go to work at Arkansas because it's it's going to take them some time to, to get there. And there are a lot of resources. There's a lot of money and you can build facilities and all of those things. But regardless, it's a it's a rebuild and the rebuilds happen through recruiting. And that means it cycles and it takes time. Well, Neil, we've got a couple of intriguing games, Miami-Louisville, but next week we're going to be breaking down SEC football games Tuesday and Friday. We're really excited about it. As we, when we, the SEC schedule starts to click in, you'll start to see the calendar look a lot better. And I think these past couple of weeks, you see the void of the SEC not playing and the Big Ten. Boy, it's it's you know Miami-Louisville when that's your feature game of the week. Um, I tell you, we got some better things coming uh, around the corner next week. I'm looking forward to talking with you about it. Yeah, me too. Miami Louisville is about the only really compelling game. I mean, outside, of course, of, of ULM and, and Texas State. I mean, everyone's dialed in. Of, of course, of absolutely with that. Want to see Oklahoma State a little bit. Want to see uh, Notre Dame again against South Florida, and I want to see Georgia Tech come off that win and what they're able to do against an athletic UCF team. But you're right. Next week, SEC action galore. We're going to be breaking it down, my friend, Tuesday and in, in Friday. Absolutely. Everybody have a great weekend. Uh, we're excited about next week. We'll be talking about game week. You don't have to write the word next anymore. You don't have to write <laughs> you can just write the word Saturday, and that is uh, that means it's game week. It'll be a lot of fun. For Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday on the next edition of SEC Football and Beyond. Take care.